Hey everybody, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show you've never heard of and the internet's best kept secret. Uh, I've just recently returned from a glorious vacation to Sunset Beach in North Carolina. Over the years, as I've grown more in my awareness of God, the more I've come to appreciate the great outdoors. Now, I used to be something of a vampire, always staying inside, uh, playing games, reading books, playing guitar, and just really generally never seeing the sun. Um, but as I said, as I've grown in my awareness of God's presence, I just love being outside. And the beach is one of my happy places. I'm, I'm always amazed by what we can learn about God just by simply enjoying what He's made. I especially loved watching my two kids go wild, digging in the sand, chasing hermit crabs, splashing in the waves. The joy in their faces reminded me of just how much God delights in seeing us live our lives with a sense of wonder. Like, did you know that God loves life? Jesus came to bring life and life abundant. He loves our questions, our experiments, our creativity, our wins, our failures. All of it is part of the joy of living life in union with him. So I think I'm just going to start going around saying life's a beach as unsarcastically as possible just to see what people say. We spent most of our time with a group of other families, but I was able to fit some solitude in there, which was a total godsend for an introvert like me. Uh, but there was one night in particular where I got to watch the sunset over the water just as a thunderstorm was rolling in in the distance. And seeing the massive bolts of lightning reflect off the surface of the water conjured up all this imagery of the throne of God surrounded by lightning over a sea of glass. The only word I have to describe it is majestic. But now I'm back in glorious majestic Cleveland and I am so thankful to be back to work. Which is great because that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you guys about seeing God move in your workplace and how to minister to your coworkers. But before I do that, I want to give a huge thank you to my generous patrons for making it possible for me to devote a huge portion of my week to creating this podcast. And I especially want to give a big shout out to my newest patrons, Max and Maurice, as well as uh, veteran patrons, Molly and Claire, for actually upping their pledges after they've already given so much. So honestly, I am blown away by the generosity. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys. I always say the reason I do this podcast is because if I don't, I will explode. So even if it was just like two people listening out there, it would be more than worth it uh, to not explode. But then I, I get all these messages and encouraging notes from all of you and uh, just the generosity that you show. Thank you, guys. It makes this just so much more fun. And so if you're hearing that and you're interested in becoming a patron and getting access to all the exclusive patrons only benefits I post each month, just check out the link in the description of this episode. 
also, finally, I am so excited to announce that I've got some real flesh and blood events coming up this year. So first off, I'm doing two back-to-back weekends of glory grace gatherings with my good friend and frequent guest of this podcast, Matt Spinks. October 2nd through 4th, Matt will be joining me here in Cleveland, Ohio. And then the following week, October 9th through 11th, I'll be joining him at his uh, glory community in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So we're calling this Joy Transformation Weekends. There's still some details to come, but it is never too early to mark it in your calendar and brace yourself for the glory storm that's brewing. But also, uh, late October, uh, let's see, October 29th through November 1st, I will be leading worship for the Kainos Koinonia event in Portland, Oregon. And I am so ridiculously pumped for that. As many of you know, the West Coast is my homeland, and I always jump at the chance to go back. But the fact that I get to be surrounded by people from all over the nation who are there just for the simple reason of gathering around the gospel and the glorious supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, that is going to be a fun weekend. And so we'd love to see you there. And if you need more information, once again, I'll post all the info on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash as well as uh, I'll be posting those links in the description of this episode. All right. Now that all of those commercials are out of the way, let's talk about working with God. Now, this topic is massive. There's way too much to say in a single episode. For instance, I could talk about how the original word for work in the book of Genesis was identical and interchangeable with the command of worship given to the temple priests in Exodus. I could talk about how worship releases the presence of God into the atmosphere and how the Bible defines worship not as singing, but as anything done for the glory of God. I could also talk about the fact that when God stepped into human flesh, he was actively endorsing the human experience, and how curious it is that Jesus, God in flesh, chose to spend his first 30 years, the vast majority of his life, not doing ministry, but doing normal human things like work as a carpenter. But the part I want to dive into specifically is ministering in the workplace. But my question is, is it possible to take the command of Jesus to heal the sick and raise the dead into our regular jobs? Is it possible to see our coworkers surrender their lives to Jesus? What does it look like to release the atmosphere of heaven in dreary office buildings and lifeless break rooms? And what happens when hard-headed, maybe sadistic bosses encounter the same Jesus that radically saved the Apostle Paul? These possibilities to me are thrilling, but they could also be scary for some of us who have had to work in environments that are hostile to the gospel. Some places really do feel hopeless, but as Steve Backlin always says, any area of life that isn't glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. 
The truth is, you have all the power of heaven at your fingertips. You are a carrier of the divine presence that parted the Red Sea and raised dead bodies to life. The same Jesus who revealed himself through a coward like Peter wants to reveal himself through you as well. And I know this because I've lived it. Going all the way back to my very first job at McDonald's in 2012, there's not a single place I've worked across multiple states where God hasn't shown up in power. And this isn't because I'm extra special or extra brave or extra whatever, but just through trial and error mixed with a whole lot of awkward I've just learned a few things about making space for the kingdom of God in secular environments, and so that's what I want to share with you today. My goal for you is to help open things up in a way to where going to work becomes one of the most wonder-filled experiments you could ever live, where each day is just illuminated by this confident joy of expecting the unexpected. Now, as I said, this is something that I've been uh, working on and thinking about for a long time, but all of this began for me with a very simple question, and that is, what does it mean to be in ministry? Is it to be a pastor, a church leader, a missionary, a preacher, or God forbid, a podcaster? Well, all of these things can involve ministry if our definition of ministry is confined to the walls of the church. We end up creating this imaginary line between sacred and secular work. And as I've mentioned before, there is no such line in scripture. In fact, the Bible says that God gave the church apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, etc. Uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry the saints. That's regular Joes like you and me. And so a number of years ago, I was struck by something that Rob Bell said, that churchgoers tend to think of, quote, real ministry as being hidden away in a study for eight hours a day to, to deliver a sermon to a crowd on a Sunday morning or a conference. All the while, they have jobs where they're spending significant chunks of their lives working alongside of, having lunch breaks with, and otherwise maintaining close contact with people who almost certainly don't know Jesus, and they want to leave that to do, quote, real ministry? Honestly, though, think about it. Who's in a better position to lead an unbeliever to Christ? Someone who works alongside you constantly through the ups and downs, or somebody who delivers theological speeches to you in a room full of people? Now, that is not to knock on pastors, of course, I am so, so, so grateful for the work of pastors. I wouldn't be here speaking to you if it weren't for the pastors in my life. But I do think that the modern American version of, quote, ministry is really taking a beating this year. And so in the wake of all of the deconstruction that COVID is causing to the church system, I just want to pose the question again, what does it look like to begin thinking of your life, but particularly your job as ministry? What does that look like? Well, to answer that, 
Let's take a look at one of my very favorite biblical figures, Stephen the Martyr. In Acts chapter 6, we read this about Stephen. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our full attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, skipping ahead a little bit, it has this verse that I love. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Just from what's in the text, we don't know a lot about Stephen. We don't know if he was blonde, wrote poetry, liked Chinese food, or had a nasally voice, but we do know that he was full of grace, wisdom, and the power of God to perform miracles. We also don't know a whole lot about his ministry position, except that the apostles called it waiting on tables. So take note, all of you food service workers out there. But what this passage shows us is that even though Stephen wasn't preaching in the synagogues, he was waiting on tables in such a way that the grace, wisdom, and power of God were on full display. Well, how does that work? How does one devote themselves to a menial task like distributing food and yet simultaneously display the wisdom of God? I would love to have been a fly on the wall just to watch Stephen do his thing, because this verse is so nondescriptive. I think it really leaves the door open for the imagination to run wild on what a day in the office was like for Stephen. But my theory is, is that it wasn't so much about what Stephen did that made him amazing. Like he probably didn't radically reinvent the system of distribution to be 300% more efficient. Though I I do believe God can give us amazing, practical, real-life, brilliant solutions, my thought is that it was more about how Stephen was conducting himself in his work. That with every interaction, every trip to the kitchen, every scoop of ramen, he oozed the tangible, manifest presence of Jesus. Now, Bill Johnson has a fascinating insight on that verse in Proverbs that says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and you will prosper. Bill notes that the word to acknowledge here doesn't mean to just give a nod across the room like, Hey, how you doing? But to do everything with a conscious awareness and attention to his presence. To acknowledge him means to intentionally invite God to participate you in everything that you do. So what would it look like for a plumber to invite the Lord into every house that he works on? What would it look like for a social worker to be consciously overshadowed by the Spirit of God in every meeting with every family? Another fantastic example of this is Brother Lawrence. If you haven't heard of him, he was a French monk in the 17th century. And most of his life was spent doing kitchen duty for his monastery, which is not all that exciting. 
But what made him so special is that Brother Lawrence built his entire life around the pursuit of a constant, conscious communion with God. Even though he was a humble dishwasher, his daily encounters with God were so profound that people would come from all over just to watch him do his dishes. Now keep in mind, this was way before cars and fast travel. Just imagine that, picture it, a guy so dripping with the glory of God that people traveled probably days or weeks on end just to watch him do his work. And so even though he wasn't thought of as uh, particularly smart or theological in his day, his writings were compiled in this book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And that book has gone on to inspire some of the most profound and well-known Christians all throughout history up until today. But another example of this is, and maybe my favorite example, is the Apostle Paul. Now, when we hear that name, we probably think immediately of someone who's in full-time ministry, but keep in mind, the Bible says that he also kept a side job to support himself. I love the fact that the guy who's raising people from the dead and arguing with Greek philosophers, preaching in synagogues all over the world, getting harassed by angry mobs and, and, and rebuking Roman governors, is also moonlighting as a tent maker. And once again, the Bible doesn't really say too much as far as details go, but it does say that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. So basically, Paul was walking in so much thick Holy Ghost sauce that even his aprons and sweat rags were loaded with residual anointing. It wasn't that he was, you know, dumping essential oils onto prayer shawls and mailing them to the sick people. It's it's just that he was walking in so much glory that just like Jesus, just touching the hem of his garment could release healing on someone. That's something I've always wanted to see. I want to see a demon fly out of somebody by having an apron touched to them. Like, (laughs) there's so many questions that come along with that. Like, how many doses do you get from a single apron? Or like, what happens if you walk around and you just unintentionally bump people with your apron? Or like, are you allowed to towel whip COVID-19 out of people with your prayer hankies? I'm not sure. But I think that's going to be my next experiment. The Holy Spirit is greater than man's idea. The Holy Ghost was greater than our own preconceived ideas. So here's my plan for today. It's easy to read about Stephen in the Bible or see someone with a big platform like Todd White and feel like those kinds of fantastic stories are for the special few. But I know from experience that you don't have to be special to see amazing breakthrough. And so what I'd like to do is share a couple of testimonies from my life to help you get an idea of what could be possible in your life. And then I want to give you five helpful strategies that I've learned through the years just through my trial and error. Now, these strategies, they're not formulas. I'm not saying if you do A, B, and C, you will get D. It's not like a a glory mathematical equation. It is simply just patterns and things and and mindsets that I've observed that really create space for God to move in your life. And and that's what I want to share. So let me tell you about the first time I ever tried to minister at work. The first time 
that I ever tried to pray for somebody was at my first job, McDonald's. And I was so terrified that I flipped a coin to make sure that God was really speaking to me. Um, a coworker came in that day complaining about a, a leg sprain. I, I think they were playing soccer or something and they sprained their leg. <clears throat> and so I knew as soon as they came in that I was supposed to pray for them. But I didn't want to. I was terrified. So I said to God, God, I'm going to flip a coin. And if I get tails four times in a row, then I will pray for them. So I did. Tails. 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 Dang it. And so I followed this person into the break room and said, hey, I need to talk to you. But the thing is, I had to awkwardly wait around for somebody who was already in there to finish their lunch and leave because the last thing I wanted was another person to witness this horrible failure that I was certain was about to unfold. And so after making sure the coast was clear and nobody else was coming in, I asked my coworker sheepishly if I could pray for their leg, which, by the way, they thought was insane, but also entertaining enough to try. And so I braced myself for nothing to happen, but to our total shock, they felt waves of electric tingling heat shooting through their leg and all of their pain left. It was in a brace, and so they took it off and started to move it around. And then they started walking around freely and saying, Oh my gosh, what the did you do? What the what? And that's the moment where I knew, if God can do this at McDonald's, he can do it anywhere. Now, back in 2014, I had just moved to Cleveland, and thankfully, I managed to get a job at a restaurant that was half a block from the house I was crashing in. It was a swanky place. The steak was delicious. And this was my first job as a waiter. And so one day, I was talking to the cook when he mentioned that he had a slip disc in his back. And so he couldn't do his job without excruciating pain, and he was worried that he would have to quit. And so I took him out back behind the restaurant to pray for him, which by this time I was pretty confident with, except for this, this time God said something really terrifying. I remember distinctly, the Lord told me to slap his back. Yes, slap. So slap my back and call me Sally. I did it. And, uh, you know, like Chris Valentin always says, if you're going to slap somebody, you better be 100% sure that they're going to be healed. And thankfully, he was. He was completely healed. And so this guy ran straight for the freight area and started lifting 40-pound boxes. He was so overjoyed that over the next few days, he started telling people to come see me, including another uh, cook in the kitchen who had a slip disc. And so from then on, I had coworkers uh, asking me for prayer for various ailments, and all of them were healed. There was even a customer who came who had a tooth who had a toothache disappear. There were migraines, back problems, fatigue, carpal tunnel, all of it healed. And it got to the point where my boss, who was not a believer, said to me, I don't know what kind of voodoo you're doing here, but it's helping the workers. Like they're visibly doing better work in the kitchen. So as long as it's not getting in the way, please keep doing what you're doing. So this guy didn't even believe in God. And he actually gave me special permission to pray over coworkers. Sadly, I was only there for a few months before the restaurant closed down. But by the time it was over, I didn't have a single coworker with health issues. And all in all, if I'm remembering correctly, it was about 13 different miracles or 
encounters with Jesus that happened. Now, once again, I'm not sharing these with you because I'm so special. You and I have the same Jesus living inside of us. To quote Paul in the Mirror Bible, the goal of my ministry is to reveal Christ in you. You already have all that it takes to see your place of work become a heavenly habitation. But that being said, I'm going to share five principles that I try to practice any time that I clock on for a job. Principle number one, do your absolute best work. Now that might sound simple and perhaps a little bit unspiritual, but there are several reasons why it can be one of the most effective ways to share Jesus. The Apostle Paul instructs us to do all things as if we were working for Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, whatever we do for the least of these, we've done for him. He said that if we visit prisoners, we are visiting him. If we take care of orphans and widows, we are taking care of him. One of the most amazing and profound truths of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has hidden himself within every single human being, whether they recognize it or not. So, when you have a particularly difficult client, instead of trying harder to be better, simply shift your focus on seeing Christ in them. Serve Jesus by serving them with love. Serve the Christ within them. Maybe in the natural, they drive you totally nuts. And believe me, believe me, I have people like that at my job. But if you can prophetically look past that and see Jesus Christ buried within them, you will feel the spark of love igniting in your heart. Remember that all things that are done out of love are a fragrant offering of praise. Mother Teresa once said, Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Learning to work from that place of love and worship will cause the atmosphere of heaven to manifest around you because worship always releases the presence of God into an environment. It causes people to look at you and say, you know, there's just something about so-and-so. I've seen it time and time again. People are drawn to me. Now, they might think it's because of my natural charisma or my ginormous coffee intake, but I know that it's more than that. It's because, unbeknownst to them, I am consciously worshiping with my work, and they can sense something of Jesus coming through me. Another reason to do your best work is because it establishes trust. If you can establish a track record of excellence, your boss won't be worried or alarmed when you start doing weird things like praying over your coworkers. Um, praying medic once talked about how when he was an EMT, he told his boss straight up that praying for the sick to be healed was a non-negotiable in his faith, that it wasn't going to interfere with his work, but he did have the legal right to practice his faith in the workplace and he intended to exercise that right. You won't get far in a conversation like that if you haven't built the trust. But the last reason is because we are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. And heaven is a kingdom of excellence. If we want to represent King Jesus well, it follows 
that we joyfully do our best in all things. Yes, rest is a fruit of the kingdom, but laziness is not. And so it's kind of funny, honestly, how much this very simple thing can speak to people. Like most of the jobs I've had are pretty unimportant jobs. So people just show up with their eyes glazed over, resenting every last little request uh, of customers or managers, and their body language just screams, I don't want to be here. And so I feel like Buddy the Elf sometimes showing up just ready to crush it. I don't always hit the mark, of course, but I try to treat every customer and coworker like they're the most important thing I have going on that day. I try to work like I'm getting paid double time, and it makes people ask why I care so much about jobs that pay so little, and it's because, once again, I'm not working for them. I'm actually working for my Father in heaven, and I enjoy doing everything with integrity, with sincerity, and with joy. Do I like doing menial tasks? No, not really. Do, uh, you know, I worked in construction for a while, like remodeling people's homes. Did I like going underneath people's houses and getting covered in spiders? No. Do I enjoy getting yelled at by entitled clients or blamed for their mistakes? No. But guess what? I don't have to let a single circumstance, person, or spider define my joy level because I don't live in response to what's happening in the moment. My life is a response to what Jesus Christ has already done for me. Number two, stay aware of his presence. Or as Bill Johnson would say, host his presence. Now, of course, someone is going to say, well, God is everywhere. And that's true. I believe that. I know that God is everywhere. I am talking specifically about the tangible, manifested power of the Holy Spirit. I am talking about the felt reality of his anointing in a room. And the most, most, most important thing you can do in this life is to learn to be consciously overshadowed by his presence in all that you do. This isn't a formula and it's not a work. It is simply the essence of life in the spirit. It is a simple fact that when you take the time to soak in his glory, you will become saturated, and those rivers of living water will leak out of you. Remember that the single most transformative force in the entire universe is the presence of the living God. Everything happens in the Holy Ghost. Remember that story of King Saul who met the band of prophets coming down the mountain? The glory was overshadowing that group so intensely that when Paul simply came into contact with them, it says he ripped off his clothes and prophesied naked on the ground for 24 hours. Hopefully that's not a manifestation that happens around you, but what you will see is people's hearts open up in the glory. Everything happens in the glory. Healing happens in the glory. Angels are released in the glory. Remember the, remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus was surrounded by a crowd thronging him, and yet he asked, who touched me? And it says, because he sensed power flow out of his body. 
And so even if you don't see anything miraculous, it is impossible for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be in a place and have nothing happen. Blake Healy wrote a tremendous book about the unseen realm called The Veil. If you haven't read The Veil by Blake Healy, fix your life. It is one of my very favorite books. But in this book, he shares a story about a mission trip he went on with his youth group where they were they went on a, a shopping trip to Venice Beach, California. And in the spirit, he could see demonic entities fleeing from the light that was emanating just by them being there. And so all of a sudden, the people around them begin to ask questions about God because the glory causes people who maybe haven't thought about God in years to start thinking differently, to start asking questions, to start wondering like, man, I wonder what going to church is like. Like I've seen it time and time again. I've seen it where um, I'll just be in a public place, like enjoying the Lord and total strangers will start to open up to me about their lives and things that they're struggling with. One time, seriously, I was just riding the bus to work. I was just sitting there minding my own business, enjoying the presence of the Lord. When all of a sudden this guy looks right at me and says, I just went through a messy divorce. Is there any way I could get some prayer? I was like, what? Now. It can feel difficult to remain focused on his presence, especially at work. But there are a few things I've learned that help me throughout the day. And so one thing I'm constantly doing is praying in tongues under my breath. Now, obviously, I do this very quietly so that people aren't freaked out by it. But that helps my spirit stay engaged even while my mind is focusing on work. For the last year or so, I've been doing this meditation exercise where when I inhale, I receive the grace of God by faith. And when I exhale, I breathe his name like this. Yeshua. And so I do that all day long. And if I ever find that I lose awareness because of distraction, it's like this rhythm of breathing that I constantly have going that I can just jump back into at any time. That uh, also happens to be a pro tip for parenting. <laughs> if you ever get overwhelmed, just stop and... Yeshua... But another fun way I like to host his presence is by purposefully touching every single object to release the anointing by faith. And so I work at an entertainment store. I'm constantly touching DVDs, video games, CDs, Bob Ross, bobbleheads, whatever. And so by faith, I just believe that every object I touch will be anointed like the Apostle Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs. I'll just grab that bobblehead and just say, Lord, let the next person who touches this bobblehead just get zapped by your glory. Let healing flow in their body. Let demons just fly out of them. Let let them just be, let the, let the power of your anointing touch them, Lord, just as it did with the Apostle Paul. And so I don't know if that works, but even just the actions of praying like that throughout the day keep my mind focused and anchored. Another tip I learned from Bill Johnson is before you enter a building, pause and don't go inside until you can feel his spirit on you. Most days I worship in the car on the way to work, so by the time I walk in the door, I'm already feeling that sweet, sweet electric heat in my hands and feet. 
But if not, I'll just pause and put my hands out and I'll go inside only when I feel him tangibly overshadowing me. Sometimes I'll just pause and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there anything specific that I'm supposed to release today, like peace or compassion or healing? Now, obviously, all of those things are good, but if you kind of know going in like what God is doing in that moment, it is a really great way that you can partner with him. Principle number three. This one might seem a little too obvious, but it's very simple. Pray for each coworker by name. Spend time outside of work praying for them. And as you're praying in the spirit, just hold them in your heart. Let the love of God for them well up in your spirit. And if you see anything prophetically, just speak it out out loud over that person. Honestly, it's crazy to me how the idea of simple prayer is just being undermined by intellectualism right now. People will say things like, prayer is just for the person praying. It doesn't actually do anything. No, no, no. Prayer affects change. The book of James says that Elijah was a man just like us, and he stopped the heavens from raining for three years with his simple trust. The reason is God, because God doesn't usually act without, our, without agreement from us. It's how he set things up. And so it's not our powers. It's not magic formulas. It's not casting spells. But it's just God simply waiting for us to perceive and understand his purposes and then add our yes to them. And it's amazing, really, the pattern that I've seen over the years. I've noticed that the ones who come up in my mind the most when I'm praying are typically the ones who end up asking to go to church with me or have some sort of encounter with God or, or want to go to coffee and talk. I know it seems simple, but it's true. It works. Principle number four, use your words. I once heard from a friend about a lady who likes to stay anonymous, but apparently she walks in such a thick, heavy manifestation of the Spirit of God that whenever she enters a room, people get touched. When she sits next to someone on a plane, they start crying, even if she's just sitting there silently. Or sometimes uh, people will burst into laughter or begin confessing sins when she's near. There's just such an intensity of glory that surrounds her that she can't go anywhere without it causing a scene. Now, I don't know about you, but my heart burns for that kind of intensity. Oh, I get so excited by that possibility. But anyway, this lady shared some wisdom. She said that the Holy Spirit spoke to her very plainly and clearly to watch her words. Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And I could write multiple, multiple episodes about that, but I'm just going to keep it brief. There is tremendous power in the words that you speak, whether good or bad. How many of us have coworkers who are constantly complaining or who always have something snarky to say or something to criticize? Or have you ever been, you know, in a group session where everybody just starts talking trash about someone? It's the worst. It sucks the life out of the room. And so one of the most basic ways that you can release the kingdom is by just simply refusing to be negative. 
Besides politely exiting the room, there are lots of gentle ways where you can turn bad conversations around. Well, so-and-so sucks at his job. Oh, huh, you know, I saw them do this amazing thing the other day. Well, our city is the pit of hell itself. Hey, do you know what I love about this city? People are being the absolute worst during the pandemic. Huh. Well, you know, I haven't had that experience, but I have seen a lot of people going the extra mile to help each other. Yeah, just not being negative can go a really long way. But on the flip side, the Bible says to let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Something incredible happens when you see Jesus in someone and simply speak to it. So one thing I love to do is reverse gossip. Like, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? They totally rocked it the other, the other day. Or, oh, that guy is so funny. I love working with him. It can be so much fun doing this because people are caught way off guard by positivity. So give it a try. Go on a rant about how amazing someone is. Just have a radar always on. Look for any shred of goodness in your environment and, and celebrate it. Speak to it. Another fun thing to do is to look for acceptable ways to bless people. One of my favorite passages is where Jesus told the disciples to release a blessing of peace to every house that they visited, and if the blessing remained on them, continue to preach. But what does that tell us? It tells us that there is a tangible, invisible power that emanates from the act of blessing someone. It means that he has given us real authority with our words. Now, obviously, it would be weird to uh, tell a client, go in peace, my brother. Maybe some of you do that, but I don't think I could get away with that. But what can we get away with saying? Oh, you sneezed? God bless you. How often do we casually tell someone to have a good day? Well, what if you're like, hey, have a good day. Have a day full of goodness. What if you actually meant it with all of the faith and intention of Jesus Christ when you told someone to feel better? I mean, that's basically just one step away from saying, be healed. There are lots of these subtle things that we often just say automatically that can be powerful when you actually decide to mean it. And so instead of just saying stuff passively, season your words with salt, say them with conviction, and be an aggressive celebrator. But the last one, principle number five, is to be a spiritual samurai. That's probably not what you expected me to say, right? But let me explain. Since I was a little guy, I have always loved Japanese culture. There is nothing, nothing cooler than the samurai. Don't even try to argue with me because the samurai were hands down the finest and most refined swordsmen who ever walked the earth. But contrary to the movies, they were not flashy at all. Rather than elaborate acrobatic swordplay, the samurai aimed to take down their opponent with as few moves as possible. In fact, they were so serious about this that they actually wore their swords with the sharp side up. That way, if they were attacked, they could draw their blade and whoosh, 
cut down their opponent in a single sweeping motion. But this philosophy wasn't just about fighting. Everything they did, from the way that they walked to the way that they dressed and spoke, was all about efficiently timed, incredibly sharp cuts. I'm not bringing this up because I think you should walk around with a real samurai sword fighting opponents, but I think there's a valuable principle in here. You can't just walk into work preaching. Nobody likes to work with somebody who's overly preachy, always shoving things down your throat. But being a spiritual samurai is about always being on the lookout for those subtle openings. Oh, you're a Christian? What kind of church do you go to? A spiritual samurai would jump on that question. Don't be long-winded. Use your words efficiently. Especially if you're in a fast-paced work environment that's not conducive to deep conversations, learning how to be brief is key. Because remember, you can always move the conversation somewhere else, like invite someone to coffee or over to your house or to church or whatever. But when you're on the job, if you're actively always expecting people to ask you about God, that will help you not waste time floundering around for answers. But another thing to take into consideration is if you want to be confident and ready like a samurai, you've got to train. Look, if you've never given a prophetic word before, the workplace is probably not where you want to practice. I highly recommend that you go out and get some good experience in the streets. Learn how to hear the voice of God. If you're new to that concept, if you're interested, but you don't know where to start, I I run these things called School of Happy Evangelism, and I've actually posted almost all the stuff that I talk about on this podcast, and I will, I will put a link in the episode this description so that you can listen to those. Um, or you could find out if any nearby churches are hosting treasure hunts or, or have some kind of uh, supernatural outreach program. But my advice to you is to get out there and practice. See, once you get, once you learn to get comfortable and hone your accuracy out on the streets where you probably won't see people ever again, you will be ready to take it to work where if you bomb, you're kind of stuck with those people. And so it might seem scary to step out and prophesy or heal someone at work, and it totally is scary. But if you learn to think like a spiritual samurai... You'll be trained up well before that situation comes. And when it does, you can seize the openings with confidence. Well, thank you so much, guys. That's all I have for you today. Um, Before you go, I do want to pray for you. Because to quote Eric Johnson, if you have Jesus Christ in you, which you do, then everything is ministry. So Lord, right now, I pray that everyone who's listening to this would begin to open up their thoughts, open up their imaginations to see what is possible when you, when you work through them in their place of work. Lord, I thank you that bosses are going to come to Jesus, that coworkers are going to come to Jesus, that revelation is going to be released, that the gospel is going to be shared, that miracles are going to happen, that um, you know, depression is going to be destroyed, that people are going to get delivered, even 
while they're working. I thank you, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit anointing just overshadow everyone listening in a unique way. Lord, I pray that you teach them about hearing your voice and about learning to step out in faith and do the things that you asked us to do, which is heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. I thank you, Lord. There is not a single place on this earth that is too hard for you. There's not a single heart in this whole world uh, that is too closed or too hard-hearted for you to move on them. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, as people listen, that you would begin to take them on that journey of seeing this kind of fruit in their lives as well. Amen. Thanks again for listening, guys. Love you. Shalom. Thank you so much for listening to the House of Bliss podcast. If you'd like to support this ministry, it is super easy to do so. All you've got to do is go down and hit the link in the description, visit our Patreon page, and sign up. Any amount of monthly giving is going to unlock all kinds of extras and behind-the-scenes rewards. Another quick and easy way you can support us is you can just give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Each and every one of those goes a long way. I'm praying that God seals everything you heard today in your heart and that you stay rooted and grounded in His everlasting love. Thanks again. God bless.